1: Today, our guest is Ivan Madrigal. Thanks for being on the show, Ivan.
0: Hey, Whitney. Thanks for having me, man. It's my
1: pleasure. No, I'm glad to have you on. We've got to know each other a little bit and we've spoken at numerous conferences now, and it's neat to see uh, you you and your team and doing deals and and y'all growing. But a little about Ivan. He started his real estate career in 2004 when he got licensed in Miami, Florida, and placed it under a local broker. In 2018, he began the management acquisition of multifamily residential and mobile home parks, has a strong banking experience having been a personal banker to business uh, relationship manager and branch manager. That has served him well in analyzing and underwriting property financials, performing market analysis, and recognizing important trends in the markets has now built a successful team to deal with day-to-day operations of a business and provide excellent customer service to their clients. Well, Ivan, thank you again for your time. And I, I know you're going to share a lot of value with the listeners and myself today. But tell them a little more about who you are and what your focus is right now. And then before the recording, we talked about just this thing of positioning yourself to do this business well and what that should look like. I'm looking forward to getting into that. But first, tell them who you are.
0: Well, Whitney, you couldn't said it better. I mean, you gave a very nice and generous introduction, but in a nutshell, I come from the banking industry. That's the majority of my career I spent in banking. A lot of that part was in business banking. I started to manage a portfolio of business owners and started to get acquaintance with the operations, the daily operations, the challenges that they faced, looking at financials, balance sheet, on the writing, those financials to be able to provide them with services, you know, with loans, lines of credit for working capital, cash management solutions, and things like that. And the entrepreneur bought was already in me where I wanted to do something. I didn't want to work for the bank my entire life, even though I was making a pretty decent living. And that's when eventually I decided to leave the bank. And fast forward a few years later, and I'm here talking at your show. And all that experience that I have has served me well.
1: Good. Good. Wow. So I you yeah, know, I can imagine in the banking industry too, like you said, you know, having to underwrite properties there and understand financials or financial statements and things like that have come in handy, you know, and having to look at properties and underwriting the just the documents in general, you know, that we need to know how to look at. But, you know, one thing we had talked about was positioning yourself in this industry and, and getting started as soon as possible. And and I'd love for you to elaborate on on why it's important to get started, you know, as soon as possible possible? And then maybe some ways that we should be positioning ourselves or thinking about as we're doing that.
0: Yeah. Well, when we talked about that, we all go through learning experiences in everything that we do in life. And this business is not different. And I was under the impression that once you find a good deal, when you look at several, uh, in our case, hundreds before you find one that's nice and makes sense, I was under the impression the money will follow, that it will be no problem Raising capital and having people, yeah, yeah, take my money, take my money. Until I realized that it wasn't like that. Until I realized that no, if you didn't let people know beforehand what you're doing, what what they can expect, it's a lot harder. It could be done, but it becomes a lot harder to raise the capital you need because you only have a small window of time to get that done. So the most important part is positioning yourself as soon as possible. Even if you don't have a deal whatsoever, you get you know you get something sample deal from another syndicator or from sponsor or somebody that you know that, that do this and start setting appointments and talking to people and tell them, hey, you know, if something like this comes along. It's just something that you're interested in. and get to and, and learn the ins and out of it because people are going to have a ton of questions, you know, investors.
1: So how did you educate yourself so you can answer those? Because obviously, you know, in the beginning, you're going to be nervous, right? You don't know what questions they're going to have. But how did you educate yourself so you can be prepared for those questions?
0: Well, I compare real estate syndication to any other asset class. In real estate is just an asset class. Most people don't know that you could invest passively into something like that, or they heard that they may have the notion that it's only reserved for the ultra wealthy. They don't know that they could invest into a syndication with an operator You know, with, with a little bit of savings. You don't have to have hundreds of thousands of dollars to do that. You could do it with a little bit of savings as long as you have a little bit of knowledge of investment. But a lot of times, they're going to have questions as, you know, how do I get paid? When do I get paid? What kind of taxes uh, or taxation event is it going to represent? It's just endless amount of questions. So the more you know about how the asset class performs, the more you're familiarized with just a little bit. If you're going to be a syndicator, you have to know a little bit about how a stock will work. Because in essence, what you're doing is you're buying stock in an LLC, in a property like a mini a real estate investment trust, something like that, right? So if you don't have some basic knowledge of how to explain that and let the investors know, this is just like investing in, in a stocks or something, but it's private instead of being something public where you go to Fidelity or where you go to a, a Meditrade or something and you buy stocks into a company, this is something like that, but it's a much smaller scale in a real estate business. You know, it's an asset class. The, the, the business itself is that asset. It's that building, it's that mobile home park, it's, you know, that strip center or whatever you're... Raising
1: money for. All right. So we've educated ourselves. Now we know how to talk the lingo, or hopefully we can answer most of the questions, right? And we're not going right. to have every answer yet. I mean, at this point, we don't have a deal, right? That's the whole point of positioning ourselves, right? And you mentioned we're going to start getting on the phone. We're going to start talking to these people, answering these questions, really letting them know what we're doing. Okay. Right. And so what's your suggestion as far as moving then into into finding that deal? Or is that where, you know, you found a partner that's working on that? Or were you looking for deals as well? Or did you, you know, wait till you had a certain investor base or a certain amount of soft commitments? What was your plan there? Or maybe from your experience, what would you suggest somebody else do?
0: Well, have a platform, you know, whether it's MailChimp or whether, uh, however you want to do it, you know, some people handwrite it, and have those soft commitments per se from those investors say oh yeah you know if if a deal like this comes across i'll invest and try to have an idea of more or less in what range would you invest you know between 25 and 50 between 50 and 75 between 75 and 100. the more you know from these investors the better it is And, and that goes as far as knowing whether there will be accredited or not accredited and you know the more you know the better if you don't know that that's fine too but at least have some sort of idea of how much they can commit if the right investment comes across and then you start creating your database it, like I said, whatever you, you choose that you want to create it. I use MailChimp for my mail outs and for my reservations and, and investors to register I use a Syndication Pro. Right? That's the platform that I'm using with you know from Jacob so that's how I have my investors. I have them go into my website and go create a login and register on my website on that platform so I keep tab through that platform syndication problem, but it could be done through anything because you could do it manually if you want to I've heard uh, of someone that actually has a notepad with names of people written down and things like that so hey by all means you could do it any way you want
1: <laughs> Do they actually mail letters to no, I'm just kidding so I liked how you said you ask you know you might ask an investor like a, an arrange and, and I've heard that said before too you know because it's, it's different than you say well how much are you willing to invest? You know, well, that's a lot different question than well, what range are you looking to invest? You know, it's like not near as much pressure. Is that what you've right. experienced?
0: Yeah, well, it, I like to have a range so I have an idea of how much money I could raise uh, in a, at a particular time. Like I said, this is what I found out recently. I'm learning the ropes a little bit more intricate on raising a lot of money because it, I mean, you could raise 200000 $300,000 without a problem, probably with the people that you know around. Friends and whatnot, but if you want to raise a lot more money for a bigger deal, you really need to have a database of people because there's, there's always going to be those that tell you yes, but then I'm tied up here and there. You know, I can't come up with that much liquidity quickly now, or whatever the reason may be. And not all deals are the same. Not all investors are the same. Some investors want to keep their money tied up in a deal for four or five years, and then some might want to keep it there for, for longer. And the deal you might find might be a deal that doesn't have an extra strategy for 10 years instead of four or five. So with that goes also knowing those investors as well. So these guys don't want to be tied on a deal for 10 years and this is a 10-year play. I'm not even going to bother. Or I'm going to tell them, hey, listen, I know you don't want to be tied on for, for so long, but would that be of interest? But knowing beforehand what their objectives are is also important.
1: So tell me the asset classes that you all are looking at now and how you're sourcing deals.
0: We're looking at multifamily and mobile home parks. Those are the two asset classes that we look at. We send mail outs and we make phone calls. And we've gotten a lot of responses from mobile home parks back to us, owners calling us. So it seems that we keep stumbling upon more mobile home parks and I love the asset. So that's the one that we are concentrating the most on right now. And there is a lot of factors on why Uh, we concentrate a little bit heavier on that.
1: So what size properties are, are you mailing to? It's
0: 60 plus lots. We mail to those and we make phone calls. We personally call a lot of uh, park owners and position ourselves as we want to buy it. We want to buy the asset. And you know, we, we create a follow-up and all that kind of stuff for those that are not ready at the moment.
1: Wow. Okay. We had briefly talked about it before. Just the the type of response you're getting from you know multifamily owners versus mobile home parks.
0: Man, it's, it's incredible. But I get... More mobile home park owners receptive to sell than multifamily, and that's been my experiences. And say that that's the way it is. That's just my experience. And it's also I found it a little bit easier to get across a mom and pop that owns a mobile home than a multifamily. Multifamily owner seems to be a little bit more sophisticated. They own it through corporations and, and things like that. And the mobile home park space is a little bit more fragmented. So I've seen that in my experience has been a little bit easier. To getting hold of those mobile home park owners, uh, mom and pops that have been running the parts for 15, 20, 30 years. And it, it's just a lot simpler to negotiate with them. And it, it's not such a hype, even though there's a lot of people that are concentrating on mobile home park now, still doesn't carry that hype that multifamily carries. That, that multifamily seems to be like the flavor of the day kind of thing. But a lot of people are, are, are pushing to buy those assets. And that's what happens when you got a lot of interested parties that turns to push the prices up.
1: So what are some initial things, you know, whether it's multifamily or mobile home parks, and you, or you can pick one or the other, that are like an initial deal breaker? You know, so either you're talking to a seller or you get some numbers or you're talking to a broker, either one, but some initial things that are going to say, okay, this is not the deal for us.
0: There are so many things. I mean, it depends on the mobile home park.
1: Or maybe some things that it has to be, you know, maybe would be a better question, some things that have to be there. You know, just a few key things, maybe before you decide to really dig in deeper.
0: Yeah. On the mobile home park space, we look for parks that are in a large metropolitan area or close to it. We look at median income, kind of similar to multifamily. You look at the median income in the area, the population size. We like to see that there's certain amenities within that community, within the immediate you know, five, to miles around, you know, like Walmart, Lowe's, things like that. And we're not in the mobile home park space. We don't like parks that are heavily involved in owning the homes. That's a deal breaker for us, unless we feel that there is a good chance to turn those around and sell them. But um, our ideal mobile home park is the one that, that the owner of the park does not own any of the houses. The tenants own the houses and we're just in the business of renting the lots. So That could be a deal breaker. Along with that, there's so many other things that could be a deal breaker.
1: What is the plan if, you know, if it is a 60 lot property and let's say there's five that are owned by the seller, uh, you know, or the current owner? Is your plan going to be to get rid of those or maybe even finance those for the current owners or residents? Or is it going to be to wait till they move and then just get rid of those or put them up for sale? How does that work? You could
0: do rent to own to the existing tenant that's there you could do straight financing if the tenant is willing to buy it. A lot of times buying it will be cheaper than renting the home itself. you structure structuring in a way that's enticing for them to do it. But sometimes you'll know, be surprised if people don't want to own, they just want to rent, right? So the plan really is to initially approach that tenant that's there and try to uh, work out a deal where they buy that from you and they only pay you a lot rent, right? But if that tenant doesn't want to buy it, then of course, when they move out, You try to find someone that's willing to buy it. And, you know, there's a lot of variables to that that the age of the house and things like that have to do sometimes. It's a very old house. Of course, they don't want to buy it. So it all depends.
1: Ivan, what's a way that you all have recently improved your business that we could all apply to ours?
0: Recently, we hired a VA. (laughs) We found that the amount of time that we were spending cleaning up the list that we got from the municipalities, from the counties, cleaning those lists up and doing all the research and needs to be done to find their owner's information and things like that, that time we could utilize, you know, the things that, that are a little bit more important. So you could hire a VA for a very little amount of money, not too much. And they could work three, four hours a day or three hours a day or 15 hours a week. In our case, ours is working like 15 hours a week. And then they do all the work. We gave them a bunch of lists broken down by county and said, okay, these are the parameters, this is what we need, then here's how you find it. Go ahead and clean this list up and just get me the properties that meet this criteria right here. You know, the lot size and the information that I want, everything, we gave them all the criteria. And so we don't have to spend time on that. We concentrate on the other things we do. That's working out pretty good for us.
1: Awesome. I couldn't recommend enough some, you know, somebody to hire a VA. I've used them many, many, many times now. But what is your best advice for taking care of investors, maybe other than communication?
0: Don't just do a deal to do it. Be patient and make sure that, that you do the right deal. In today's market, there's so much hype going on with real estate and syndications and things like that. And don't manipulate the numbers. If they don't work, don't work. So don't do a deal chasing that carrot because you're not going to last long if you do that. The investors are eventually are going to catch up and say, you're not doing this right. They're not going to invest with you again.
1: So I really liked how you you talked about having the right deal there, where most of the time it's, you know, we'll over communicate or be honest and, you know, and you want to do those things, of course. But but I really like how you even went back. at really uh, another degree and said, you know, let's make sure it's the right deal to care for the investors. And I couldn't agree more like that's going to be the best way to care for them is make sure it's the right deal. And, you know, the communication, all that stuff should be there. But that's a, a great answer. But what's the the one thing that's contributed to your success? persistence.
0: You're going to have a lot of stumbling blocks. You're going to have a lot of just a bunch of roadblocks. There's a bunch of stuff that are going to happen. And what had helped me stay focused is my whys, my goals, why I'm doing this, and staying connected with the things that feed my brain. I listen to a lot of podcast and uh, inspirational speaking. I don't even say motivational speaking because that ties to motives. I call it inspiration speaking, which I cut that up from at Milet. I listen to at my a lot and Tony Robbins and things like that. And that keeps me focused on my goal. When you have a down day, we all have down days. We all have funky days. That happens to all of us. We all have days that we feel like you want to throw that towel. Well, you got to realize that those are part of the growing process. You don't have difficulties. Life is boring and you, and you just don't grow. So stay persistent, stay consistent and be patient because everything comes in time. Life happens for you, not to you. Mm-hmm. There's a bunch of stuff that are going to happen to you and you're going to be like, why is this happening to me? What's well, not happening to you? It's happening for you. Eventually, you'll find out why that happened. That gave way to something else that was supposed to happen for you in your life. So every single day of my life, I look at it that way and it helped me stay focused on my goal
1: it's a choice right it's a choice to look at it that way
0: it's a choice absolutely
1: well Ivan, uh, tell people how you like to give back
0: many ways of course I do charities and I, you know I give money out to uh, the charities beating America there's a few charities that I that I give to That does just jump change I try to find a, a random act of kindness throughout the day you know the other day I was at Walmart just around the corner from my house I got a Walmart I'm gonna have to run for something quick. i just go there and grab it and come back. And I'm, I literally have like just a handful of items and I get stuck behind an older lady that's on a, on a cart, and she's, you know, taking things out. And my initial thought is like, oh man, I'm going to be in this line forever. And then it hit me. I was like, why am I so selfish? Let me help this lady because she doesn't have anybody to help her. So I put my stuff on the, on the counter and I went and helped her. And you know, it, it was a good deed because she really needed the help and it made me feel good and it made me feel grounded again. I was like, man, sometimes we get caught up in the daily hustle of the day, and you're in a rush and you don't stop to realize that there are other things around you that could fill your day, right? So that made my day, that little random act of kindness. Really made my day,
1: Ivan. You know, thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate you just talking about the importance of you know positioning ourselves so for the money before we have the deal. You know how the deal is so important and the most important way that we care for our investors is being patient and having the right deal. But I also liked how you know you've talked about how you all are marketing to sellers and uh, mobile home parks compared to multifamily. And you know, one way you all have recently improved is hiring a VA. That's awesome that you all are doing that. And I think you'll see that you'll start using them more hours and more hours and probably need another VA, you know, at some point. But uh, anyway, thank you again. And tell the listeners how they can get in touch with you.
0: Well, our company website is assetlegacygroup.com. Asset, A-S-S-E-T, legacy, L-E-G-A-C-Y, group.com. And they could find out about us there and register there as well and check out everything we do in that website, assetlegacygroup.com.
1: Awesome. Thank you, Ivan. So head over to lifebridgecapital.com and sign up for the newsletter. If you're interested in partnering with me, sign up on the contact us page so you can talk to me directly. Have a blessed day and I will talk to you tomorrow. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Syndication Show brought to you by
0: LifeBridge Capital. LifeBridge Capital works with investors nationwide to invest in real estate while also donating 50% of its profits to assist parents who are committing to adoption. LifeBridge Capital